Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women podcast. We're inspiring important conversations with the unafraid, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like New Zealand, USA, Australia, UK, and so many more places, including a ton of listeners from Austria. Great to have all of you joining us. As you know, my book, Fearless, Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision, continues to inspire, and I'm so grateful for your support. It means the world to me. And thank you again for making it a bestseller in Canada. It's so fun when people reach out and tell me how much they love the true, authentic, and inspiring stories in the book. Tell your friends and grab a copy wherever you love to buy books. And yes, it's always great to hear from you on social media. So reach out. We need to hear from fearless leaders today more than ever. I'm very excited to have this next guest on the show. When I think of a fearless, inspiring person, for me, Commodore with the Royal Canadian Navy, Commodore Jose Kurtz is someone who immediately comes to mind. Her story is one of dedication and service to her country. And you can read more about her and her inspiring story on page 258 in my fearless book. Commodore Kurtz is an exceptional leader who has many accolades over her impressive trailblazing career, including having made NATO maritime history by becoming the first woman to command a multinational naval task force in one of the alliance's most sensitive areas of maritime operations in 2019. If anyone can help us find our way through these uncertain times, it's this incredible woman. She is a navigation expert after all. Commodore Jose Kurtz, welcome to the show. Hi, Janice. It's good to be here. Uh, I guess the only thing I have to say is that uh, I don't get to see you often enough, so I'm delighted to be here. Yes, we're, we're, we're doing it virtually, and I'm so grateful, so thank you. So let's talk about your current role and why it matters and why you love it. What, what are you up to? And, and you've got lots to share with us, so much wisdom and knowledge. So let's start with your current role. Okay, so as you mentioned in the introduction, Commodore is my rank. So uh, that's a rank that's part of the cohort of, uh, of generals and flag officers in the Canadian military. And just to situate that, it's, it's about the upper tranche of military ranks. And that comprises of, of leaders at the strategic level, like people who run uh, the enterprise of the military, if you wish. Uh, currently, I'm in transition between my deployment in command of the NATO fleet in the Mediterranean last year, as you mentioned, and an upcoming yeah. position as the commander of the National Cadet and Junior Canadian Ranger Support Group, which I'm going to be taking uh, later this summer. So I'll be in charge then of directing and providing oversight for the cadets and the Junior Canadian Rangers program. And I'm just delighted that I'll be contributing to an organization that looks after the development and the preparation of, of young Canadians for their transition to adulthood. 
and uh, and enabling them to meet uh, you know any kind of challenges that they will have to face in modern society and we'll do that through a very dynamic and community based program and activities I'm also delighted about that because I was a sea cadet myself in, in my younger years, and, and I really believe really, really hard uh, in the value of that program. In the meantime, well, when the pandemic started, uh, because I was waiting to transfer from my deployment into my new job, the Navy saw an opportunity for me to provide a bit of leadership and capacity in leading the Navy's strategic management of our COVID response. Uh, so mm. last few months I've been I've been working here at our national defense headquarters and uh, having a look at how we can uh, position the Navy to be ready to respond if the Navy had been asked to uh, to help. Uh, and we did a little bit in, in some areas, but really it's about being poised. Uh, Second part of your question, uh, you asked me, uh, why do I love what I do? Uh, I enjoy my career because it's a dynamic environment where uh, really there's no place or no time to settle into complacency. But by the same token, there's plenty of opportunities to learn and to work in different areas, uh, whether in the Navy context, it's at sea or ashore, uh, across the country and abroad. In my personal experience. I've worked in operations. I've done administrative and staffing functions. I've worked in the area of security, uh, working with the other environments of the military, the Army and the Air Force, with our civilian workforce and with allies like I did last year. Uh, the opportunities for fulfillment and for growth are almost endless. And we do all that while serving Canadians and protecting Canadian values. So to me, a career in the Navy is well beyond a job. It's a noble cause and a great adventure. Hmm. And we're so grateful for your service. So thank you. Well, thank you for recognizing it, Janice. Yes, my goodness. So two things. One, uh, you mentioned you spent three years as a sea cadet. Um, So that was a long time ago. (laughs) And then you were an instructor in the cadet instructor cadre. And that was before you joined the Canadian Armed Forces in 1988. Uh, as an officer in the Royal Canadian Military. And we talked about the um, the value and importance of having such dedicated men and women as yourself, uh, you know, in service of our country. So how, though, and you've talked about how fulfilling and exciting and purpose-filled career you've had and calling, really. So how can we attract more women to serve? Yeah, so uh, so indeed, as you mentioned, it's, it's been a long time since I was a, a young sea cadet. I joined the, the sea cadet movement uh, when I was uh, about 16 years old or so, 1984. So essentially, I've been wearing a uniform since 1984. Um, wow. So, uh, so how do we attract more women to serve? And that's a really good question, but I, I think I think in the case of, of where you have people who are really animated and and really positive about what it is that they do for a living. I think we need to showcase the success stories and the opportunities that a job in the military uh, offer. Uh, Importantly also is is that enjoyment and that fun and like that that good feeling inside that that one gets when they they do their their work, when they serve, but when when they speak about what it is that they do in, in the military. Uh, that sense of fulfillment and the rewards that come from working in the military. And we need to do that in a genuine fashion without all the sugar coating, because you can have a lot of fun and it can be very fulfilling, but it doesn't mean that sometimes there aren't 
challenging times or, or harder times. But to me, those challenging times can be equally fulfilling as, as, uh, as, the, uh, as the easier times. Uh, it's, all, it's all about contextualizing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to have the women who are in the military directly engage with other women, like other potential young girls who, who would like to join to explain the reality of, of life in the military. Because I fully understand that life in the military is not for everybody. Uh, but you need to speak about the aspects that energize you about the military. Like for me, uh, the uniform was, was always something that was attractive. Uh, but for somebody mm-hmm. else, it might be something. So you need you need to discuss, you need to talk about uh, all all those different aspects. And perhaps when you put a whole bunch of stories together, you might have a good package deal that would entice more young women to join. Uh, I think it's also important that, that we have men, everyone for that matter, to speak about the military and the opportunities. Talk about the friendships and, and the families that we build as part of being in that group of people wearing the same uniform. And then very importantly as well, it's about demonstrating the strength that comes from bringing many different skill sets and styles of of leadership and styles of working into one team and highlighting how personal attributes are valued within the military. So I think we need to talk about the success. We need to talk about the real life stories. And then then bottom line is to put the emphasis on the opportunities over just the simple numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, of course. That makes sense. It's not, it's not only tracking the numbers, it's really attracting the people that are going to find that fulfillment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we were lucky enough to be together at Harvard for leadership training a while back, way back when. Um, Can you share uh, some important lessons you've learned because you've had so much incredible training? If we think about, for example, your officer training and, uh, you know, this is world-class training that you get in terms of leadership. And can you give some examples of when you've applied important lessons you've learned? Yeah. Uh, As you know, the military, and, and in my case, the Navy, is a very structured environment. It's routine, uh, the discipline and uh, the procedures are are very specific. And we need that because when there's a a tough situation that we face, you go back to to the checklist, you go back to the standard operating procedures, and and it allows us to to be able to to drive through those challenges and, and those problems. So I think that our military training specifically with that high space and that, and that pressure that is put on us to, to force us to evolve and, and to be able to, to react properly teaches us to be flexible, versatile, and agile. So those are the three big attributes that always come to mind to me. And mm-hmm. I think the, the place where I saw that the most, Janice, was when we had to look at the problem-solving challenge when uh, my ship uh, in 2010 deployed to Haiti for humanitarian assistance and disaster relief mission following the uh, the earthquake in Haiti. Like our naval training, when, when, when you look at a ship's company working together, uh, our job is to make the ship function, make the ship uh, float to move and, and to fight. Uh, very seldom do we go ashore. I mean, you have radar operators operating the radar, you have mechanics operating the, the, the plant uh, of the ship, and then and you have the logistic technician all those people make a hole in, in driving the ship. And then all of a sudden we're faced with a mission where we have to build small teams and go provide some, some help ashore. And so mm-hmm. all that training that we did in terms of 
problem solving that gave us that inherent flexibility, versatility, and agility allowed us to go do some good stuff ashore with the people who were in need at that time. Mm-hmm. And so can you maybe expand on that experience? Because I'm sure that was uh, quite challenging, but also at the, t- at the same time rewarding because you know that you're helping people in need. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I, think, I think the best way to express the, the feeling of, um, of uh, the good that we knew that we were going to do was uh, what happened when we were told that the ship had been tasked to, to, uh, to that specific mission. We were already at sea. Uh, we were on our way to the Caribbean in, in the same general area, but, but to do a completely different mission of, uh, of patrolling and uh, working with the Americans in a counter-narcotic setting. And then, of course, we, we kind of watch the news and we hear that there's been an earthquake in Haiti. So when we were told that we had been tasked to go, the, the feeling on board ship of preparing through synthetic scenarios for something completely different. And then now we were going to go do like a real life humanitarian mission. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the feeling on board uh, and, and sitting from where I am in, in my captain's chair or in my captain's cabin, uh, you could almost, it was palpable. It was, mm-hmm. it was almost, uh, you could almost touch it. And everybody just turned to with their utmost drive, their utmost motivation and will to go do some good for some people whom we knew and we would start seeing it through the news uh, how bad the devastation was, uh, that, that motivation from the ship's company and, and how quickly they came together uh, with that will was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, going ashore, of course, I didn't go ashore as soon as we got there. My, my teams went. It took me a few days uh, to, uh, to go see the devastation firsthand and to go see what the, the good work that my, uh, that my ship's company was, was doing ashore. But to see the look on, on the sailor's face when they came back from going ashore and how hard and how hot it was when they went ashore, but also their witnessing of, of the devastation, I think two things. It was quite striking how, how bad the situation was, but I think it just in turn also fueled their determination to go back ashore and, and, uh, and go do some more, uh, some more good work. Uh, for me going ashore, of course, the, the witnessing of, of the devastation was important, but, uh, really proud to see, uh, how, how the team were able to help by teaming up with some, uh, non-government organizations who were on the ground and were, uh, teaching us and working with us to uh, build water distribution plants, um, uh, set up some water purification, uh, set up some, some um, uh, washroom facilities, uh, clear rubble, all the stuff that we need to do to help the Haitian people start refunctioning again slowly but surely. Uh, so that pride in what good work the ship's company was doing, I think to me was, was the, the, the most important uh, memory that I have. Mm, that's so incredible and just uh, reminds us all of the important work that you and uh, your company and, and frankly, the, the Canadian military is doing. So again, thank you for your service. Yeah. And, and in the context of COVID, uh, Janice, if I may, I mean, that, that's, yes. why we, that's why we're, we're ready, right? So that's why right now the Canadian forces are posturing to take care of ourselves, that we stay healthy so that if something like this or in the context of COVID happens, um, we're, we're ready to go and, and we're prepared to go help, you know, either Canadians here abroad or, or go help in some humanitarian setting 
as we did back in 2010. So this seems like a funny thing to ask you because uh, (laughs) given your uh, incredible career, but is there anything you've done once that you never want to do again? Uh, Yeah, I would say uh, the mission space ride at Disney World. I got more seasick (laughs) in that ride than I already get every time I go to sea. Uh, Listen, I'm just, uh, I thought I would inject a little bit of of humor in, in this one here. I do get seasick every time I go to sea, uh, but that particular time, I, I do absolutely. I I, uh, I fight I fight through that. Uh, that's part of that. Um, um, I guess the tenacity uh, fiber that that I have. Uh, but but because uh, people all they all react the same way as as you do. Say what? Well, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's for me. It's that the 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 joy and the satisfaction I get when I'm not seasick is so overpowering that and it overpowers that 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 the seasickness as, as unpleasant as it is uh the positive is 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 way stronger so so my drive to fight through that seasickness uh, uh allows me to get to all the good moments when i'm when i'm not sick i must say so, that's a surprising detail from your career <laughs> that that actually happens and it makes me think of you know other professionals who say you know i get nervous every time and here you are you get seasick every time that's uh that's unexpected so do you have any tips for people who also experience seasickness how to quickly get over it it's very simple is take your gravel before you go to sea <laughs> It's as simple as that. And and sometimes I forget or sometimes you feel, oh, you know, it's not that bad or I'm not going to get sick. And, and it hits me every time when I'm complacent. Uh, so to grab all ahead of time. And, and for me, for me, it works. And uh, and I must say, if it's going to be rough for a little while, uh, I'm one of those who's, I guess, uh, fortunate enough to to gain my sea legs, and so usually yeah. after uh, after a day or, or or two, I can wean myself off the the, the seasickness medication, and I can I can manage it on my own. Uh, other people are not so fortunate, and they're more chronic seasick than than mm-hmm. uh, than I am, uh, and so they have to stick with their medication uh, every time that they're at sea. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so. Uh, but that, that that was a bit of a of a of a you know a humor touch to uh, to your very uh, serious question. Uh, I think joking aside here, uh, I'm very thankful uh, that I will never have to leave my six year old child on a jetty as I left for a six month deployment back in in 2008. I, I think that was by far the hardest uh, moment in my career, and not because I was uh, was concerned. Uh, my kid was was staying with uh, with my husband, uh, and uh, and dad was was perfectly capable to uh, to take care of of, of our child. Um, but it's it's the the thousands of years of of mother instinct in me that that found it very uh, challenging to uh, to pry my child out of my hands and and uh, and then give her to uh, to, to my husband. Uh, my kid is now almost 19 and quite independent, and my deployed days are likely uh, well behind me. So, so I think, I think, luckily, I'll never have to uh, to do that again. Uh, more broadly speaking, I think I don't want to be the only woman in a given cohort again. Uh, I've been the first and the only woman in in many, in many occasions uh, in my 32 years of service. Just because of my place in time, I joined the Navy when the Navy was just opening its doors to women. So, so of course, I had to be the only one or 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 the first. Uh, so, uh, but I think it's now time to foster more integration. 
I have three years of service left, and I really hope that the next generation does not have to beat the same path that I did. I think it's okay mm-hmm. that they have to face challenges. They can face their own and not mine and those of my generation. Mm. Mm, very inspiring words. So true. Thank you for that. Can you share uh, a pinch me moment from your career? As in, I can't believe this is happening. As you mentioned, you know, it's already been 32 years of service and you've done so many amazing things. Is there something that stands out or one that you want to put a spotlight on in this moment? Yeah, I think uh, I, I had I thought about that, and there's been some some great moments in in my career, and and there's been a few uh, I can't believe, like you mentioned. I, I think the one that really uh, resonates most is when I received the phone call from the fleet commander to tell me that I had been selected to become the captain of a ship. Uh, at the time, I was second in command of a frigate. We were deployed on a counter piracy mission off the Horn of Africa. So that was uh, fall of 2008. Um, uh, when I got the call, we were finishing a 15-hour northbound navigation transit of the Suez Canal coming from the Horn of Africa and headed back into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so we were all very tired. And my job as, as the second in command on board, the, the, the second to the captain, was to make sure that the crew was now properly taken care of at the end of a, of a complex navigation transit. And I was not at all at the time expecting a call from ashore. Uh, and certainly I was not expecting to be selected for command at that particular moment in my career. Normally, uh, and seldom, I would say, officers go directly from second in command to command. It, it, it happens, but, but it doesn't happen normally or that frequently. I was at the time anticipating to finish my, my second in command tour, uh, go ashore in a staff position before uh, if the star line uh, eventually getting appointment, uh, appointed as, as captain of a ship, but not at that particular time. So, so that was a uh, that was a moment uh, that was that was quite special, and I was lucky to live that uh, with uh, with a great ship's company, a great crew, and and a tremendous captain who uh, I think thanks to him in, in a significant part uh, had groomed me to, to get ready to uh, for that challenge. But but there's a, a number of of other ones. I was also very pleasantly surprised when I was asked to take command of the NATO fleet last year. Uh, that was another time when I, I was not necessarily expected to, uh, to go back to sea, and, and it did, and, and that was a, a beautiful, uh, wonderful year uh, in terms of professional um, uh, satisfaction last year. Mm, so many beautiful moments. Um, <laughs> they're just incredible, actually. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what about when you think about um, some advice uh, so first of all, well, maybe before that, even I'll just follow up on a comment that you made in terms of uh, the captain that you said was instrumental in your career. What about mentorship and sponsorship? How important has it been? Can you add a little bit more to your comments on how important that's been in your career? Yeah, I think uh, so, so. The military training to me, I always saw that as a you know, there's an inherent uh, fold, uh, there's an inherent responsibility to to groom. Uh, and prepare our, our, our junior or our subordinates for uh, their other or their follow-on um, uh, positions within their own military careers or, or their respective uh, 
uh, occupation or, or their, um, uh, their actual uh, jobs. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so we do that inherently um, just by matter of fact as, as we do our everyday job. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if someone goes uh, on vacation, then, then you appoint a junior to, to act in their stead and, and, and you help them perform in, uh, in, those, uh, in those functions. So that, so that when their time comes, then they're ready to uh, to do that. Um, so I don't think I ever had really Genesis until IWF in 2011, 12. Uh, I, I never really had an official mentor, somebody I was working one-on-one outside of my normal job, whether it be my captain or, or my immediate supervisor. Uh, mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that I was not well mentored and, and I was not well coached. And, uh, and I had a, a great number of, of supervisors and superiors and captains and put it in the context of my career where I was uh, one of the first women to, to join uh, the regular force naval service uh, at sea. Uh, like all those, those mentors or all those superiors were all men, uh, but mm-hmm. yet uh, they, they did a, a, a fantastic job of, of training me and, and coaching me uh, through the years. But that particular captain uh, allowed me to, uh, uh, to um, take on some responsibilities in, in his ship. And, and he was also uh, really good at asking me for my, my opinion, my recommendation or, or advice whenever there was you know, a particular challenge that we were facing, whether or not he needed it or not. And, and I think that's, that's for him to decide. Uh, but I know that on a couple of occasions that uh, he put me in, in certain positions or in certain scenarios so that, uh, so that I would be exercised in, in whatever we were facing and I would be able to take on similar challenges of, of my own. So uh, in retrospect, when I look at that ability to go directly from second in command to command, that's why I, I give him a lot of credit. If I was able to go from you know, one ship on, on the jetty to cross the jetty to, uh, to my own ship, um, that he, he, uh, he did a good job and, and he deserve, uh, deserves my, my appreciation for what he did. Must have been a heck of a feeling to go on your own ship in in that role. Yeah, it, it can be. Uh, it, it's really it's it's thought provoking, right? And I give an example. If uh, I talk about that captain who allowed me to do many things, I mean, he he would put me in a position where I could drive the ship, whether drive the ship to come alongside the jetty or drive the ship to go into a, a replenishment at sea. And uh, and it's one thing to do it when the captain is right behind you. He may not be saying anything, but but you have that feeling that if something doesn't go quite right, the captain is going to jump in and 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 he's gonna he's gonna save the day. He or she is gonna save the day. When you become the captain, <laughs> yes. you look, look over, there's nobody else to look over your shoulder <laughs> right. to uh, save the day. And 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 the, the, no, the uh, it's it stops there. I remember the first time um, it was uh, it was a, a replenishment at sea when. Uh, the conditions were uh, were were quite rough at sea, and and I remember thinking, I've driven a lot of those replenishments at sea, and I I did well back then, uh, but but uh, this is where it stops now. This is this is me. Uh, you know, feeling goes. You have to you have to set that feeling aside quickly because you have to stay focused and and you have to be uh, you have to be on on your game. 
but there's moments where you think of, of, of things like that. But then again, you go back to that training, that coaching, that, that mentoring, which is, uh, which are all components of, of, a, of a critical whole that allows us to be able to take on greater roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Being able to really just rely on the, uh, on the incredible training and that guides you through. Yeah. Um, so do you have any advice that you uh, want to share for ambitious women who uh, may want to be the first or, or to trailblaze in a new way? Uh, any thoughts or, you know, cause as you sit 32 years in your career and, and having, been a trailblazer the whole way through any, any uh, lessons learned or advice for ambitious women? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the first thing I would say, Janice, is that uh, I'm, I'm personally not a, um, a big fan of, of the word uh, ambitious. I, I find that it has a bit of a, of a, of a, a negative connotation of, of, of perhaps doing it for, for, not the right reasons. I would prefer mm. to say advice for determined or driven woman. Um, mm, nice. Because, okay. because what, what we're determined for, what we're driven by um, varies. And, and I think we all have those, those driving factors or, or, or whatever it is that, that, that lights us inside. So to your question, my advice would be uh, first is, is to set clear goals for, for yourself, but importantly, is to adjust along the way when necessary. Everybody reaches decision points at, at, at some point in time in their lives or in their career, and it's okay to have to consider or reconsider options. Um, so, so work with your support network and with your allies, and those are in your family, in your circle of friends, and among your colleagues, and and then, and then like prod them to give you honest feedback. But I think, you know, it's not to strive for, I got, it, it, I, I've mentioned that I've, I've, I've had the, I've had to be the first uh, at certain points in, in, in my career. Uh, but that's, that's never been what, what, uh, what uh, really drove me. I was mm-hmm. never seeking to be the first one. Um, similarly, I would say, don't strive for, uh, for perfection and don't put unnecessary unhealthy pressure on yourself. Uh, pressure itself that comes from your work environment is enough without adding to it. And uh, so treat yourself as you would treat your colleagues and, and your subordinate with, with a little bit of, of kindness without asking too much or, or excessively of, uh, of yourself to be, uh, to be perfect. Cause, cause I, I think it's, it, it just gets you into a, a negative circle, which is very, uh, very uh, counterproductive. Uh, um, I think in the end, and, and it's something that, because with 32 years of service, and I think the last, the last five years or so, I've done a little bit more uh, introspection, uh, ultimately is don't try to fit in. Just be yourself. As an example, I used to try and be one of the guys. When, when I joined the Navy, I was joining an environment that was male-dominated. So, so we were really trying to be, and we would say, I, I just want to be one of, guy, one of the guys. Now I say, I just work to be one of the team. It's an important mm-hmm. nuance when it comes to working with uh, authenticity uh, because you don't force yourself to be something that you're 
they're quite not. You know, mm-hmm. it's about offering what you have to offer and uh, and valuing it. I love that. If that makes sense. It 100% makes sense. And so much practical wisdom there. The whole notion of kindness and self-care. Uh, it, well, because, you know, as we push forward the uh, stresses are real in whatever path that we're on. And so to be mindful of that, I think is really powerful. And the, the beautiful comments around authentic, authenticity and your own leadership and, and this idea of not trying to fit in uh, because then you're not bringing your full self, you know, and, and, and then to your point, the team doesn't get the full benefits of all of your talents if you're not entirely yourself. So I love that. So many uh, lessons in there. This seems like a, um, a funny question to ask uh, someone with your amazing career, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Jose, can you share one time, because I know there's countless times, but just one time that you were fearless? Uh, quick answer is when I left home and joined the Navy. Uh, I was 19. I was out of uh, CEGEP back in uh, back home in Quebec. Yeah. I had always lived with my parents. I was eager and I was not looking back. Now, basic training was hard, both physically and mentally, but I was never afraid and I was determined to finish. Mm. And you just went for it. I, I absolutely. Um, I, I was at. I, I was born with a bit of a sense of adventure, and uh, and and that moment when um, I had been recruited, and it was it was time to get my bags and and leave home and go to that basic training. There, I, that, that it was it was the right time for me. It was it was uh, get on with with uh, with starting my own life. So I was really looking forward to that. I would say a bit more philosophically speaking. I would say that. Um, I'm, I'm also, I would say, fearless every time I go to sea. And I don't want that to sound arrogant. Uh, mm-hmm. I've gained the highest respect for the sea. It can be a harsh and, and very dangerous environment. But when you get to know the sea and you try to, uh, to anticipate it, uh, you also learn to trust the ship uh, to keep us safe. And you learn to trust in the shipmates to, uh, to help keep each other safe as well. So, so I think that that's other moments where... Uh, it's not about fear, but it's about respect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So we've heard about your 19-year-old fearless self. What about, take us back. What about the 10-year-old Jose? What were you into? Were you in Joliet, Quebec at that time? Where were you living? What were you already, you know, on, <laughs> uh, on loving the water then? Like, take us back. Yeah, so, uh, so as you mentioned, I'm from Joliet, Quebec. It's a small blue-collar French-speaking town about uh, 40 miles northeast of, uh, of Montreal. Uh, used to be uh, remote from Montreal. It's, it, now it's, it's becoming the suburb of, of Montreal. A lot of people commute nowadays to, uh, from Joliet to Montreal. Uh, I'm, I'm from a, a relatively big family, uh, not from brothers and sisters. I have one sister only, uh, but it's a big family on both my parents' side, but other than one of my aunts, uh, there's no desire to leave home. The, the family is, is still all there. Uh, my parents were not big travelers. Going to Montreal was an expedition back then. <laughs> uh, so we didn't go very often. Yeah. And, uh, and we, have, we have no link in my family to, uh, to the military. So where I got wow. that, that fiber for adventure, for the military, 
for traveling. I'm I'm not sure exactly where uh, where that one uh, comes from. Uh, one of those uh, odd genes that that appeared uh, when I was born. Um, uh, I was a good student. I achieved good grades uh, in school, uh, but I was generally quiet. Uh, had a small circle of friends, but I was not among the popular kids by any means. Uh, but I had that, I mean, as I mentioned, that curiosity to expand my horizons, that taste for discovery and adventure. Uh, my favorite subjects in school were history and geography. Uh, and, I, and I learned English by myself. Uh, so like I oh. say, the, the French speaking, uh, nobody in my family uh, spoke or, or speaks English uh, by any means. I would watch Family Feud uh, coming back from school every day. Uh, and that was easy because it was question and answers, question and answers. And, uh, and I think that's where I got most of my English from. Uh, I like drawing. I spent one summer drawing a full house plan. Uh, I like reading. I read all the Agatha Christie books. Oh, me too. Uh, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great. Uh, you know, it's, again, a way to, uh, to escape something completely different. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, did I have that taste for water? Absolutely. I was in the local swim club for a little while. Uh, I spent some time in, in Girl Scouts where I enjoyed camping, the teamwork, and all those uh, autonomy skills that, that being in, in the Scouts or Girl Guide system uh, teaches, uh, teaches us. But I later joined the Sea Cadets, and as we mentioned at the onset mm-hmm. of, uh, of the, the, the podcast here, uh, the local Sea Cadet Corps uh, quickly became my place. I live for Friday evenings and Saturday uh, morning and all day practices. I had friends with common interests. I was given a uniform. I, you know, there was a, there was a disciplined environment. Uh, there was leadership and life skills. And I was put in charge of things and I was trusted to, uh, to execute those things. So, so I think that from that younger who, you know, who was just part of a smaller group of, of friends, uh, the Sea Cadets really took me, it was, it was that, that stepping platform from my younger self into that career in the military. It was three years as a Sea Cadet and one year as an instructor. They were pivotal years for me. That's uh, so incredible to hear about the journey and how uh, it really does sound like a calling for you. You know, once you, you said, as you found, you went there, it just all kind of clicked, didn't it? Like, this is going to be my life. Now, here's a question, Jose. Was anybody else that you spent time, you know, in those three years as a sea cadet did, or the year as an instructor, did anybody else pursue a career in the military from that group? Uh, there's a couple I can, uh, I can oh, wow. remember. Um, mm. One was, uh, was a good friend of mine, and, and uh, he joined the Air Force. And he oh, wow. is still serving, okay. so he's probably at the same at the same place in his career uh, as I am, thirty-two ish, give or take uh, <laughs> years of service. Uh, others did join the military, probably yeah. um, uh, did not stay as long, uh, but but they did they did serve their country for a little while, and they went on to uh, to doing something else. Uh, but but really, uh, you know, in 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 the great scheme of things, it's, it's there aren't that many who who do join the who did join uh, the military for uh, for a career. But uh, it doesn't mean that uh, the Sea Cadet organization uh, does not uh, provide um, 
good skills for anything they do in life. I've, I've done a number of, of reviews of Sea Cadet Corps and other corps, uh, for that matter, in the course of my career. And, and you get to speak to the to the kids and to their parents. And, and I say, it, it doesn't matter what you choose to do in life. What you learn with cadets uh, gives you uh, lifelong tools in your toolbox, regardless of the career path that, that, one, uh, that one decides. Um, mm-hmm. it's absolutely tremendous what, what we, what we can see the kids achieving there. And, uh, and I think I, I speak about that very passionately because as I mentioned, um, what it gave me in terms of, of, of an environment with, uh, with an ability to grow into my, myself. Mm-hmm. All those practical, uh, skills and leadership skills that regardless of whether someone serves or not, they're going to take those things with them throughout their whole life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So final question, Commodore Jose Kurtz, what's your dream for Canada? That's a, that's a very uh, interesting question. And I think that we are in, uh, in interesting times to, uh, to answer that, uh, that question. And, uh, and I think, I think that the fact that my military career has allowed me to, to travel abroad and, uh, and take Canada or take the, the Canadian, uh, the Canadian way, uh, elsewhere and, and, uh, allows me to have a bit of, of, of a look from the outside. I think I would say that what I'm, what I'm hoping for Canada is that, uh, it, it's, stays and uh, and evolves uh, as we stay who we are but uh, that that it it is a place where our rich history is acknowledged and and our beautiful moments in history are celebrated and that those become the foundation for uh, an even brighter future i think that brighter future means that there's equality of opportunity for for everyone for every canadian regardless of our identity or our background. And I think we're doing that quite well. Uh, but I think that because we are, uh, we are in a period where a lot of is being questioned right now, I hope we don't lose sight of where we've been as we shape our future. It's a beautiful dream for Canada, and it's been an absolute privilege to share this time with you. You have been listening to an important voice in Canada, Commodore Jose Kurtz. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Fearless Women podcast. Thanks for having me, Janice, and uh, I hope, uh, hope to see you soon. Me too. Stay well. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage, 
EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.